Welcome to the Top Business Leaders Podcast. You'll learn how successful people just like you have grown their businesses, expanded their influence, and made money by writing a book. On each episode, you'll learn the inside secrets to help you create a book that can serve as a powerful marketing tool to skyrocket your business. I'm your host, Dan Janelle. I help thought leaders, business executives, and entrepreneurs write their books. To find out more and to download our show notes, go to topbusinessleaders.com. Welcome, everyone. This is Dan Janelle, your book coach, and I'm delighted to welcome you today. And I am delighted to introduce you to my good friend and today's guest, Jim Kukral. He's written many books. His latest is called Your Journey to Becoming Unskippable. And he's going to share a lot of great ideas here on how you can use your book to build your business. Welcome, Jim. Yes, old friends are the best friends. Isn't that the way? Jim, why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey? Well, I got to tell you, I mean, I was writing books before they were called ebooks, right? When you're just putting PDFs out there. <laughs> the first book I wrote was probably around 2011, an ebook uh, before that, actually, about how to make money blogging with your book, uh, or to make money with your blog. And uh, back then it was called Blogs to Riches. And uh, I got a lot of flack back then because they said, people, you can't use your blogs to make money. You know, now everybody does it. Uh, but then I became traditionally published, and I realized really quickly that, you know, it moves too slow. Uh, the business of traditional publishing is is fine for a lot of people, but I found that it's you're doing all the work to market your book yourself anyway. You might as well just self-publish and make more money. That's a great lesson, Jim. I tell my clients that the book really is a big business card that helps you get clients who can pay you a lot more money than you'll ever make on a book. Chances are you can't sell a lot of books and you won't make a lot of money. That's just the way it is. But the book can lead to big time fees in speaking, consulting, coaching, training, and other services that you can provide. So the book makes you stand out from the crowd and it positions you as the thought leader or the trusted guide who can take them from mess to success. Do you find that to be the case? Yeah. And let me actually tell you a specific story about that. So years ago, I got asked to speak at a local event here in Cleveland. And uh, it was because a person had read my book, my first book, and they booked me to speak their event locally. And I got to the event. There was a huge snowstorm the night before. And it took me two hours to get downtown to the event in a trip that normally takes 20 minutes. I showed up at the event 7 a.m., left the house at 4.30 in the morning, got to the event, walked in. There was one person there and one person in the audience. And I was about to walk out. I was talking to the event planner. And I said, I guess we're not going to do it. And, and the guy sitting in the front row goes, well, I'm here. <laughs> and I looked at her and I said, okay, the show must go on. So I got up on stage. I did a 45-minute presentation to one guy sitting in the front row who sat there with his arms crossed and didn't expressionless the entire time, didn't nod, didn't smile, didn't do anything. I finished. He got up. He said, thank you, and he walked out of the room. And I thought, oh, my gosh, that was the weirdest experience I ever had. Two days later, I get a call from a local number I pick up. He introduces himself. He says, Hi, Jim. I was the one person in the audience at your speaking gig the other morning. He goes, after I left the event, I downloaded your book. I read it in one sitting, and I'd like to invite you to come into my office here around the corner from you 
and have a meeting with me and my CEO. So long story short, I get into the meeting. I sit down. I have an hour conversation about their marketing issues, issues, them a bunch of my ideas. They walk out uh, after about an hour. They're in the hallway for a couple minutes. They walk back in and the CEO offers me a six month consulting contract at $5,000 a month. Let's rephrase this, right? I wrote a book. A person booked me to speak because they read the book. A person in the audience then gave me a $30,000 contract based upon my speech and the copy of book that I read. So to back up what you were just saying, most nonfiction authors do not make money from selling direct books. Fantastic. It's, what if you tell Seth us a Godin little bit about Malcolm how books Gladwell have helped build your you know, career? Tony Robbins, yes. You're going to make a ton of money selling books. The way you make money selling nonfiction books and building an income is building a business around the book, whether it's speaking, consulting, coaching, online training programs. And that's been my experience. And that's an, a direct example, just one of them that has worked for me. That's a great story. You know, there's a joke in, among professional speakers and it goes something like this. What's worse than having no one show up for your speech? And the answer is having one person show up for your speech, because if no one shows up, you can go home. If one person shows up, you have to give the talk. And Jim, you've shown that that one person could be the right person who gives you the business. So congratulations. You showed up, you did the work, and you got the job. Congratulations. Jim, Jim uh, a lot of my prospects and clients come to me and they say, gee, I don't know what to write about. Or they think they know what they want to write about. They follow their passion. But I can tell right away that that's not going to get them any business. What advice would you have for finding the right content so that people write the book that gives them business? No, it's so simple. And people get in their own way on this because they feel they have to write something that is so lofty and big and everything. Look, at the end of the day, you know a lot about your subject matter. Whether you're an electrician, a drywaller, or a real estate agent, you, all, you answer questions all day long for potential clients about how to do stuff. That's why they call you. That's how business works. You have a, uh, they have a problem. You have a solution or a service that solves that problem. So it's very simple. Write a book that solves people's problems. Here's a great way to think about it. What are the top 25 questions you get asked in your industry all the time? If you're a salesperson or whatever it is you do, if you're an expert, there are people who are always asking you those questions. Guess what? Write those questions down, and every one of those is, is a chapter. Maybe only come up with 10. Answer the problem. Solve the problem. Put it all out there. How do you do this? How do you fix this problem? How do you overcome that? That's a book. That's what people are looking for in nonfiction. They're looking for a solution to the problem. So all you have to do is answer questions with quest and, and from questions that people already are giving you every single day. I tell my clients the same thing. The only reason people read a book is to solve a problem. So you need to find out what that problem is. In fact, they may not even read the entire book. They just may skip ahead to that one chapter that relates to them. Well, look, you know, there are two reasons people use the Internet and two reasons only. Number one is to be entertained and the other is to have a problem solved. And when you think about it from a book perspective, fiction is entertainment and nonfiction is problem solving. There's a reason that Google is the number one uh, search engine in the world and still will always be because they solve problems faster and more relevant than anyone else. And this is the same thing you got to think about when you're writing a book. 
Just solve people's problems. Put it all out there. Tell people every secret you have. Put it all in the book. The truth is, is that people really don't want to do it themselves. They want somebody to tell them what to do, get the credibility and the expertise, and then hire you to do it for them. I tell my clients that people are looking to read the book to find the trusted leader who can take them from mess to success. But a lot of my clients have the same fear that you talk about, giving away everything. They think people are going to steal their ideas. But you're saying that people want to find someone they can trust who can actually implement those ideas because they don't want to do that work themselves, right? Well, like you said, a book is the best business card you will ever have. And it doesn't have to be traditionally published. It doesn't have to be in a hardcover thing. It's just a business card. You know, if you walk into a potential client's office, you can leave a business card or a resume. But you know what's better is when you walk in with that book. And like I like to do the plop test, right? So I have one of my old books here. So I'm going to take my book. Imagine this sound as you're in a customer, potential customer's office, right? You drop that book on their desk. And you say, here is a book. It talks about everything that I do and it establishes my credibility. And that is the best business card you're ever going to have. And it doesn't have to be 300,000 words. It can be 20,000, 30,000. I'm reading a great book now by a guy I met at a conference called um, Thanks for Coming In Today. And it's a book by Charles Minton, Minton. And met a great guy, but it's a small book. But the guy's getting booked for keynotes, and he's getting consulting gig. The book's only like 20,000 words, and the guy's getting all this business because the book's just good. That's so true. I think people have very short attention spans today because of the Internet. Uh, I think people are also intimidated by very large books. Uh, in fact, I tell my clients that people want to pick up a book that they can uh, read when they get on a plane when they, in New York and finish it by the time they land in Los Angeles. Anything longer is just intimidating to them. In fact, they may not even read the book because it's so long in their eyes. Jim, what is your best advice for getting into a writing routine? How do you set up your day for writing? Well, I think it varies for everybody, but here's how I do it. I open up a Google Doc or a Word Doc, and I process a book first by doing tons of research. My books are very well researched. I have hundreds and hundreds of stories and articles I reference. So I compile all that information first. Sometimes that takes six months. And I have a 40, 50-page Google document of notes and links. Then I go back and I just start spitting it all out into words. And I don't worry about typos. I don't worry about grammar. I just type. I get it all out. Then I go back later and massage it all into pieces. That's my methodology. Um, some people have to do it in a more structured way, which is fine. You could use tools like Scrivener uh, to help you to write the book out. It, however works for you is the best way to do it. The key is actually doing it. So if you work better in a coffee shop, I wrote most of my first books in a coffee shop because I was away from the distractions of everything going on in my private office here. Um, sometimes that works better for people. Sometimes people have uh, much more luck writing a book by talking it out using drag and diction. Um, they're on a walk and they're just talking. Or they're in their car right, and, and talking the book out. It doesn't matter how you do it. It just matters that you do it. It just matters that you start. Yes, everyone is different and has different modalities and different 
working styles. It's all correct, as long as you get the work done. Jim, you talked about stories. Do you have a ratio of stories that you use versus stories that you've uh, gathered from the web or from your research? Yeah, I mean, obviously, if you're writing a book about something you don't, you know a lot about and you have experience in, you should be blending in your own personal experiences into that book. That is uh, the part where the reader will really uh, feel something from you, right? So tell as many personal stories and experiential stories as you possibly can. But at the same time, you want to reference other things. You want to reference other books and articles and stats and studies and white papers, you know, if you're writing that type of book, because people don't want to hear just what you did, unless you're just this amazing resourced, you know, 50-year veteran. They want to see things from other sources out there and just, you know, mix both in, but definitely tell your own personal stories. You know, we're living in a really world full of authenticity right now. Um, people want to hear where you came from. They want to hear your struggles. They want to hear what, how you overcame things. And that is a really great way to build a credibility and to build somebody getting to know you. My books are very conversational. I write just like I talk. And that's the biggest compliment I get from all my books is I felt like I was just sitting in a coffee shop having coffee with you, Jim, and we were having a conversation. That's just I write. And that really helps me build a relationship with a potential customer because of the way I write my books. Excellent advice. Jim, what advice do you have for people so they can find their tone? Well, you know, it's not for everybody, right? If you are not like that, if you don't write like you talk, um, then you shouldn't try to do it. You just got to write in your own authentic voice. Um, too many times the reason people stop doing writing a book is because they're so worried about doing it in a specific way or coming out in a specific tone. The only way to overcome that is to sit down and start belting stuff out. Um, the biggest thing that stops people from having success or actually starting writing a book is worrying about getting every sentence perfect and the grammar and, and, you know, looking up typos, just write, just sit down and write. And if you approach it from the way I, I explained it before, just answer problems, right? People have questions. Talk about your experiences, answer those problems. You do it every single day. If you're an expert in real estate in Omaha, there are people who come up to you every single day and go, what's the market like in Omaha? And what should I expect for how long it should take to sell my house? That's a chapter. Answer the question. Just answer questions. Yeah, I find that some of my clients don't think they've already written a first draft and they think it's pretty good, but they're really not sure. And I look through it and I see obviously the typos and copy editing mistakes, which I really don't care about. That that's a different level of editing. But at my level with the content development, I look to see if their stories make sense, if they prove their points, if the chapters are in the right order. Well, that's higher level editing comes in after you've done the first draft. And I think you've done a good job of explaining, just get it down on paper, whether you talk it through or write it out, just get it all down and then work with someone who can help shape it up. Did you get any help with your books to take it up to the next level? I mean, you've written 11 books. You, you might be able to do it by yourself. I'm just curious. No, I get plenty of help. So, <laughs> Tell us about those steps. I am a really poor writer. I have tons of typos, and I'm not really good at structuring things. I kind of have the spaghetti against the wall method. So when my books are first finished, the first draft is chaos. 
So I have a developmental editor like you do. And um, that developmental editor goes in and says, boy, this all needs to be in this flow and work better. And I pay for that. And that is uh, worth its weight in gold because they will take my thoughts and structure them in a way um, that I just couldn't envision because I was just writing. I'm just writing. Right. And then somebody, an expert comes in and weaves it together. And that's a very, very important part of writing a great nonfiction book. Definitely. I worked with one client and she had a great story in the middle of chapter three. And I said, this is really your signature story. It should really be at the front of the book. And she agreed. And then we looked at it again and said, you know, this story is re- should really, we should work on this, this story to be the title of the book. And uh, we, we did. It was uh, about her stretch mark, believe it or not. Uh, and it was a book for women and empowerment and all that. And what's, what's a better term or a better analogy for going beyond your goals and stretching beyond your limits than a stretch mark. And it was uh, obviously very uh, graphic. And it's something that women in her demographic group could easily relate to and see themselves uh, and, and empathize uh, with her and see themselves in, in, in her story. So it really became the, the, the title of the book as well as the signature story. She didn't see it until I pointed it out. So I love the fact that I can look at something and find the gold that's buried <laughs> deep in the book. So that's always fun when I can do something like that. Jim, what do you, what mistake did you make that you uh, know now that you wish you never made um, in terms of writing a book? Well, the marketing was the big one. So when I wrote my first book with Wiley nine years ago, um, I was making the assumption that they were going to do marketing for me, and they really didn't. Um, the PR world's a little bit different. You know, you're a PR guy, right? So back then, you know, still even press releases were, you know, kind of moving on the way out. But uh, they didn't do the marketing. And the mistake was thinking that when I signed with the publisher, they were just going to market the heck out of the book. And they didn't. Uh, I actually learned from that lesson and created an entire business around it called Author Marketing Club, um, where I help teach people how to figure out how to market their books. But uh, that was the biggest mistake is just thinking that I could just write a book and it would just be instant success. Like the limo pulls up and they take me to the red carpet and they hand me a glass of champagne and the movie deal comes in and like all that stuff. Like that romantic dream of uh, being a published author doesn't exist any longer. Uh, And once you get over that out of your head, you get that out of your head and realize that you're going to write something good and then you're going to use it to build your business, that's when success starts to happen. What other marketing tips have you found that have really worked well? So probably the biggest thing that's going to work for you in today's world of when you're marketing your book is reviews. The social proof of having a decent amount of reviews on your book is bigger than ever. I mean, let's face it. We live in a world where people are not going to trust anything unless they see that other people have already socially accepted that it's good. You know, when I go look for sci-fi books, here's what I do. I go to Amazon. I type in bestseller sci-fi books. And I look at the cover, sure. And I look at the title, sure. But you know what I really look look at? I look at to see the reviews. And I sometimes I'll sort it just by the, the most reviews. And if I find a book that has 6,000 reviews and it's the number one sci-fi book, I just want something quick to read that's entertaining. And I'm just going to buy that book 
straight up on the fact that it has that many good reviews. That's just how brain works. If you go to a perfect example of this is if you go to an airport bookstore, <laughs> the bookstores in there, the first thing you're going to see when you walk into an airport bookstore is the bestseller books. And when I go in, I, I watch the people and they, they go directly to that aisle and they stand and they look at that end cap and they pick up all the books that are bestsellers. Now, a lot of those books are in there because they're paid to be in that space. That doesn't matter. The reader doesn't know that. The reader just thinks these are the best-selling books, and they want to read something that other people have read that have socially justified that it's worth their time. And that's really what it's about in the nonfiction space. Is it going to solve my specific problem, and is it worth my time? So spending your time getting reviews is really important. My latest book that just came out, I did not do any marketing on it for two months and I'm not doing any more marketing until I get 100 reviews. And I'm at 77 today in a month, right? Because I know that the reviews down the road are going to be the reason that people pick it up. Jim, what are your secrets for getting reviews? I mean, my book has been out for a bit more than a year, and it's gotten 51 positive reviews, and I'm very happy with that. But it really was pulling teeth. What have you found to get you get so many reviews? First of all, I've read your book, and I have reviewed it. And it is a great book. Um, Thank you. What I did specifically for this latest book, Your Journey to Becoming Unskippable, is I created an ARC team, an advanced reader copy ARC team. And ahead of me uh, even marketing the book or announcing the book, I compiled a list of hundreds and hundreds of people who said, and I said specifically, I'm giving you a free advanced reader copy of the book in exchange for an unbiased review, which is perfectly legal to do on Amazon uh, and anywhere else. You're allowed to give away art copies of a book. You cannot incentivize people. You can't give them an iPad for leaving a review, right? You can give away free copies of your book in exchange for an unbiased review. But here's the key. You have to be very clear in how you put that out there. In my landing page that I built, in the emails I sent out, I said, I'm giving you a copy, but I am expecting a review. That's number one. Number two, um, I'm giving you a deadline. I want this. the reviews need to be up by this date. That's key because if you let people just linger about, right, they'll never get to it. People want to feel like, you know, they, they, they have a deadline to reach to. Um, other tactics I've used when I sign people up for that ARC reader list, I created a calendar event. And I added every single person, hundreds and hundreds of people, onto that calendar event. So on the day that we were supposed to get reviews, it was on their calendar. And they woke up that morning and saw, oh, look, Jim Kukrell's unskippable book launch today. I need to review the book. And there was a link to the Amazon page right in the calendar event. So it's things like that. It's asking. It's being very clear and putting people on a deadline that you want to get reviews. Because the truth is people are busy, like you said. You know, they may not find time to read the book. Um, it's summer. You know, we, we're on vacation. I didn't have time to read it. And then there's people who don't know how to leave a review or have never left a review before. So getting reviews is like being a salesperson. It's about putting it out there, creating a deadline, creating urgency, and asking, asking, asking. We're going to get into a calendaring issue here. Um, this episode will air in about eight weeks. Is your review program still going to be available then? If so, let's promote it. If not, I'll cut this out of the recording. 
So here's what I'm willing to do. Let's leave this in the recording. The ARC review copy page that I have been using is is closed. But what, I, what I'll do for your listeners is I'll leave it open. So I'll give you the link, Dan. And anyone who wants to get a free ARC copy of the book, you can go sign up for the email list and it'll give you the free digital copy. But again, I would only ask that you, you do that, that you actually do read the book and you leave an unbiased review. You can leave me a bad review if you want. I hope you don't. But I will leave it open for everybody who listens to this. Fantastic, because this podcast could go on for years. Um, let's see, two, two follow-up questions for that. Uh, number one, I've actually heard that Amazon likes it when you get four-star reviews and three-star reviews because it shows you're not gaming the system with just having all of your buddies write five-star reviews. It shows that their people have opinions. Uh, the second thing is, what is your book about? You know, people may want to read People don't know what your book is about at this point, so why would they want to read it? So let's let's do a, a real good sales job on why your book is so wonderful and how they're going to benefit and what problem it will solve. Yeah, so let me address the Amazon review thing. You know, you have to think like a reader, right? Don't worry about Amazon. Amazon's goofy with their review system. They have things in place where they'll check social media connections like you know, if I review your book, Dan, they might realize that we're friends on Facebook and they might remove my review. I get it. Fine. They might do that. Um, but don't worry about that. You can still ask uh, people that you know and like and trust to review your book. If Amazon reviews re- removes it, that's fine. In terms of three, four star, five star reviews. Yeah. I mean, if you've got a book that's all five star reviews, is there a chance that a regular reader who doesn't know you looks at it and goes, oh, these might be illegitimate? Yeah, there is. But really, do you really do that? I do that more when I'm looking at like flat screen TVs, but not a book. Right. So don't worry about the the quality of your reviews unless you're getting a bunch of bad ones. Then you might need to rethink your edit or something and start over. Uh, worry more about quantity. Um, I'm on a mission to get 500 reviews of this book, and I'm at 77 as of today's date of recording this podcast. And to me, long term, having a higher quantity of reviews is going to do more for the book than anything else. So that's why I give away copies, art copies like that. So to answer your second question, the book is called Your Journey to Becoming Unskippable in Your Business Life and Career. And it's a business inspirational book. It's a book for people who desperately want to find a new mindset for how to be successful in aspects of their life. And it's a marketing business study case study book, but it does have a lot of mindset shifting things in there. Like one of the things I talk about in the book is uh, the yellow car phenomena. You know, it's based on neuroscience. Uh, If you are looking for yellow cars, you'll see them more often. And that's basically a mindset shift. If you are looking for negativity in your life, you're going to see more negative things. If you're looking for success and positive things in your life, you're going to see more success. There's things like that in the book. But the basic principle of the book is this. The world has become skippable. And, you know, DVRs, they allow us to fast forward through the commercials. Uh, when you're watching a show on Netflix, what's that little button that comes up after you finish watching an episode? It's a little button in the bottom right-hand corner. It says skip to the next episode because you know, who could wait five seconds for the next episode, right? <laughs> you know, my kids, uh, 17 and 14, they don't watch TV. They watch YouTube, right? And they sit through those unskippable ads every single day, probably hundreds of times. 
Um, we're living in a world where people want to skip everything. And in today's world, how do you build products and services and books and content that people don't want to skip? And that's what the whole book's about because we don't have an attention problem. You know, the attention spans are not decreasing. We've just gotten really, really good at filtering out the skippable information and focusing on content that we really want to consume. Binge watching is a perfect example. When you find a show that you like, you'll sit down and you'll watch 10 hours of it straight, right? And then you'll tell all the world about it. But it's got to get, you got to be able to get through to people. We're so distracted by our phones, we're so distracted by everything going on in the world. And that's what the book's about is how to create unskippable businesses and brands and marketing so that people just don't skip past you. Fantastic. And what does that link to get a free copy of your book? Um, it's jimcucurl.com. Let me make sure I have it right in front of me here. I'll have to provide the link to you. Um, I don't have it in front of me right now, but um, maybe well, put it that's in okay. We'll, we'll put it in the show notes, which are available on topbusinessleaders.com podcast, and they'll just look for your name, Jim Kukral, and they'll be able to uh, see the link there as long as, along with uh, a few insightful comments that you made and great tips that you gave today that made this session unskippable. Very nice. I see what you <laughs> Thank you very much, Tim, for joining us today, and thank you, everyone, for listening to us. Thank you so much. It's great to be here, Dan, as always. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to Top Business Leaders, the only podcast that shows you exactly how people just like you have built their businesses by writing a book. If you'd like to write your book but don't know where to start, you can find great information at writeyourbookinaflash.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back next week with another insightful interview to help you become a top business leader.